0: Hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Would you help me welcome all of our first-time guests? We're so glad to have you with us both here in the room as well as online. Man, how are you guys doing? Y'all good? That was very weak. You are in the presence of the one true living God. You know that's what worship is all about? That's what we were just doing for like a little while? Well, that's okay, that's weak, but that's all right. Y'all take it up with God later. Hey, before we go any further and get into the message, I want to remind you of something I talked to you about last week, because I know maybe not everybody was here, and uh, we think this is a really big deal we want to be a part of, and that is the beginning of the 24-7 prayer movement here in Columbia, South Carolina. It's happened in a few other cities, yeah, a couple people are happy, there you go. Uh, it's happened in a few other cities around the world and they've seen incredible transformation in people getting saved, crime rates, and the, the, the list goes on. I'm not going to uh, take a moment to talk about all of that. So what we began uh, last year that kicked off in January is churches. Every church taking a different day. Of the month, and so grace life is the fifteenth of every calendar month, January, February, and so forth and so actually, there are different churches that have taken every day, many days are covered by multiple churches, and then what we want to do is take the twenty four hours that are given to us, and we want to cover those by multiple people so actually, before last year even ended, our prayer team had already taken the twenty four hours one time around. And we want to see how many of you want to join in and be a part of that. Uh, there's a QR code on the screen. You can simply click that, and it'll take you to where you need to go to sign up. We're doing 30-minute slots. So that's 30-minute slots once a month. Can you pray for 30 minutes once a month? There are seven prayer points, so that's a little over or about four minutes a, a prayer point. And you may say, you know, how would I pray that long? Easy, I promise you. You can take one of those prayer points, four minutes will go by so fast. And that way we can see God move in our city. Who believes we need more of God in our world? Yeah. Amen. Good. Well, if you raised your hand, you better be clicking that code. Gotcha. Uh, speaking of prayer and seeing more of God, that is what we're doing this week with our week of prayer and fasting. If you are new to Grace Life, I want you to know that twice a year, every January and every August, those are the two times that we kind of do a reset and, and say, God, we need more of you. The beginning of a year, beginning of a school year, after a long, hot, dry summer. Anyway, so what we do during that week as we come together physically here in this building as well as we're praying individually and and online every morning this week. We always kick it off with a Sunday night, that is tonight at 6 p.m., a time of prayer and worship where there's no preaching, but we come together and we are unified in prayer around some different things as well as just lifting up God's name. So I hope to see you here tonight as well as in the morning all week long. Remember that Saturday is always later. You get to sleep in a little bit on Saturday. Everybody good? All right. Well, we're in a series called Mindset. Today is part three. If you've missed uh, either of the first two, the good news is both of them are online and you can go and get them there. But the idea behind this series, the reason that we're doing this series, is because of a quote uh, that's very, very true. And that is, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. What that means is whatever's going on up here is determining where you are headed. And I don't know about you, but that's very, very important because. We all have thoughts up here that sometimes we need to deal with, right? Matter of fact, the quote that we're building the series upon is actually from a book that I read doing research. Whenever I do a series, I do a lot of research. I do a lot of research into the Bible and different verses and passages and those sorts of things, but I also want to see what are the... The, the latest books being written in the podcast that are being talked about what's going on. And so I came across this book. It's going to be one of my new favorite recommended books to give to people uh, when they come in for pastoral counseling. Matter of fact, if some of you would read this book, it will solve half of your needs for pastoral counseling right there, if not all of them. And so it's called Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Rochelle, pastor of the largest church in America. So he knows a thing or two about what he's doing and what he's saying. And uh, I just really think this will transform your life. So do I have a teenager or a college student that will actually read a book if you had a copy of it. Raise your hand. Teenager, college student, firsthand. You're the first hand I saw. You're, I can actually throw it to you. I had to leave it on stage for the last service. If you're not a teenager or college student, you should be able to afford a copy. <laughs> so go get one. I don't get anything from it. I don't even personally know the pastor. Wish I did, but I don't. So there you go. So hey, everybody, this series is built upon a biblical truth you need to know. It's a theme verse for our series we don't always have a theme verse but this one is uh, with a theme verse and it comes out of second corinthians 10 5 so every week i'm just reminding you of this and that is that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion where are those in the mind right are you all going to participate a little bit better than this today we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god how by taking every thought captive to obey christ And so what we're doing for this series, we part one laid a great foundation for the whole idea that there is a battle for your life taking place in the mind. And then the next three parts, we are looking at three mindsets that I've seen as a pastor that really trap us and keep us from the life God intends that we need to take captive. So in part two last week, we looked at the captive, I'm sorry, the mindset that we need to take captive. I can't change. I can't change. But the truth is, we can change and we need to change. We need to become more like God. We need to stop looking in the mirror and saying, this is as good as it gets. I'm trapped. I don't like where I am. You see, a lot of us believe we can't change because there's a saying we have that a leopard can't change its spots. Well, I've been on a safari and I'm going to tell you, a leopard cannot change its spots. They they, they look the same every time you see them. But the problem is that phrase is actually not talking about leopards, right? Y'all know that? It's talking about people when it says a leopard can't change its spots. I'm gonna tell you this. If you are looking at somebody who has not made Jesus their king and they keep promising you they'll get better, but they never do, that's why we have that saying. Because here's the reality. Somebody who has not made Jesus their king, they have a sin nature and your sin nature never makes your sin nature better. And that is why we believe that saying. But what you need to know, if you have made Jesus your king, then the spirit of Christ lives inside of you and the power to change is a real thing for you. And so we need to stop believing that we are as trapped as everybody in the world because we are in the kingdom of God and we are not trapped. We can change. We can become a better us. We can become more like God. That's what part two was about. If you missed it, I want to encourage you to go and get that. Today, we're going to look at a completely different mindset. One of the other three that I think really robs us of life so much, and that is the mindset that says, I See the bad. I see the bad. I look around and well, everything around me is just messed up and bad. People are messed up and bad. I just I see the bad. I'm going to tell you I'm a person who is really good at seeing the bad, and that is partially because I'm just incredibly detailed. It's just the way God made my my brain and my eyes. I, I can walk into a room. I don't need a laser level. I can just tell you that thing is crooked. I can tell you that those two colors of paint don't match. And somebody was like, yes, it don't. No, they don't. That's a slight shade off. I mean, I see every detail. If you don't believe me, go and ask the staff. And then you can start praying for the staff. But I see every detail. The other thing about me is that I'm called to be a leader in the kingdom of God. It is my job to look at what is not the way it should be and to move people towards what should be. I think it's a gift from God the way that I see details. And here's the problem, that eyesight that God has given me, that what I call a gift to see the bad, well, there are a lot of people that have been close to me for a very long time, they would not have called it a gift from God. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like me, you need to pay attention right now. You see, the problem is when we see the bad, many of us, it comes out as a very critical spirit. Because we don't know how to look at the bad and help people move forward without crushing them in the process. That's my story. If you want to talk about the number one way that the Holy Spirit changed me to stop being someone who always sees the bad and crushes everything and everybody to being someone who sees the bad but then gives everybody hope, well, it would really be my children and my wife that have borne the brunt of who I used to be that God has used to to help move me into what I'm supposed to be. Because it is... So easy to look at problems, it's just the way I was to look and go, you know what? That shouldn't be like that. Those people are stupid. Come on, anybody with me? That shouldn't be like that. Those people are just lazy. That shouldn't be like that. That was a dumb idea because those people are dumb and that's why it shouldn't be that way. Now, that would be okay, maybe, really not, but that'd be okay if I kept it inside myself. But the problem is I thought if I had the gifting to see and to recognize what needed to change, then I should help people by telling them how lazy, and stupid and dumb their ideas were, so that the truth shall set you free. Come on, can I get name there from anybody? The truth, right? I mean, yeah. Like I said, God's worked on me. I've changed a lot. My family will actually agree to that even at this point. I think we all see the bad, though. And we all see it differently. Some of us will see the bad, and, and we're like, well, that, that's only so bad. Some of us see the bad, and it's really, really bad. We see the bad when we look around us. We see the bad in the people who are close to us. We see the bad in the situations around us. We see the bad in decisions that other people make. We see the bad in the systems that we feel trapped by. The bottom line is that we simply see the bad in pretty much everything we see. And that's the mindset that traps us because we've become people who have no hope and are very, very critical. And that's not a person that's easily going to step out and make the change that God wants for us. I want you to hear my heart behind this message before I go on. The reason that I think this mindset is so important for us to tackle and talk about is because as a pastor, I, I spend a lot of time with people. I talk to people and come, some come and sit on my couch and say, can you help me? And I'm going to be honest with you. I just see so many people that when we start to talk about what's going on in their lives, for me, I look and I see things that have a lot of hope. I look and I see things that are normal across humanity. But the person in front of me just sees a really dark cloud. They're just trapped. trapped. They don't believe anything can get better, and that's why we need to address this mindset. Because if we don't change how we see, then we can never change our lives. People get so fixated on the problems and how dark and how bad everything is—how bad their marriage is, how bad their uh, job is, and how bad the world is, and how bad the government is—and how y'all see where I mean. Here's the thing: it is a very short trip. From my life is so bad to God is not good. It's a very short trip. And that is why I think one of the three major mindsets that we need to take captive is I see the bad. Let me show you what the Bible has to say about our way of seeing. It turns out that as humans, we tend to see things in a way that gets us into a whole lot of trouble. And as I was looking for what verse I thought would be a good way to preach this story and to bring out this passage, I realized that the Bible is filled with opportunities for this. So honestly, it was tough for me to choose, but I chose one because it's an easy story and it's a famous story. If you've been to church for any part of your life, you've heard a sermon or 10 on this one. If you're new to church, this is a really cool story and you're going to enjoy this. If you're following along in your Bible, it's Matthew chapter 14. We're starting verse 25. And this is a story about Jesus and another guy walking on the water. At this point in the story, Jesus has sent his disciples away across the Sea of Galilee, and he says, don't worry, I'll I'll meet up with you later. And I guess they were thinking he'll just row himself, he'll get his own boat. But I mean, he is the Son of God. Why take a boat when you don't have to, right? And so Jesus just decided to walk to them on the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And in verse 25, it says, In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, and I can kind of hear the tone of you know disappointment, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid, guys. You know me, you've seen me. I mean, come on, just chill out, please. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, it's not really a ghost. If it really is you, would you command me to come to you on the water? And first of all, I'm thinking, okay, if you're not sure you're talking to God, asking a ghost to tell you to walk on the water is just stupid, man, because your next step is going to be really, really wet, you know? I mean, like, and if you do believe it's the Son of God, then shut up and walk, you know? I mean, Okay, that's enough. Anyway, and so Jesus said, okay, right, then come on. Come on, walk on the water. And so Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. But when he saw, you ever notice that detail in the story? But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. You ever notice in the story the detail of how close he was to Jesus when this happened? Across the Sea of Galilee, he walked, got to Jesus. Jesus could just reach out his hand and take him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Man, what a cool story. This is one of the super coolest, I know it's not a word, stories in all of the Bible where a man gets to actually walk on water and defy nature simply at the command of the Son of God who has authority over nature, telling him to do so. Now, look, here's the deal. I know that we all look at the Bible at times and we think we would do better than they did in that situation, but I'm gonna be honest. I think I would have done better than Peter did in this situation. So, you know, Peter, I'll deal with you when we get to heaven. We'll talk about it. But, but, but here's the thing. I'm not sure I would have done as well as Peter at getting out of the boat, right? You know, I mean, Jesus says, get out of the boat and walk. And well, okay, but. You've never done something like that. So, I mean, the first step, I'm not sure I would have taken. I'm going to give Peter credit for being willing to take the first step out of, out of the boat. But, but if I did take a step out of the boat, I, I would do it a little cautiously, right? Somebody with me? Anybody with me? You know, you'd be a little like, is this really going to work? You know, you'd keep a lot of balance on the foot that's still in the boat kind of thing. And, and if you get one foot on the water and you're actually able to walk, you're going to be like, well, is this a log? Did I find a log somehow? You know, let me, let me see if there's a second step. While this is working, right? You know, and then third step, walking on water. Here's the point where I think I would have done better than Peter. I'm just going, okay, Peter and I will talk later, but that's what I think. Because here's my thing. I might not have taken the first step, but if I had taken three, I'm running the rest of the way. Because if I can walk three, I can run five. And I can do a little dance. I would have been dancing out there on the water. I don't dance well, but only Jesus would be watching, so it's totally okay, right? You know, and it's the middle of a storm, so whatever. I would be having fun, man. I would have been like all this way. And here's what happened. Peter got to a point after he'd been walking on water where he saw. And you may say, what, Jimmy, he saw a storm. I mean, he saw the wind. I can imagine what it would be like. He had been walking on water. You need to understand he's not walking on a smooth swimming pool. He's walking on the Sea of Galilee. And the wind is picking up. There's a storm brewing. This would come out of nowhere in a very short period of time. And you can imagine that as he's standing in the water, suddenly the water is now splashing up against his knees, maybe up against his waist. Maybe the waves are so bad it's even splashing in, in, in his face. And so I could, I could understand he's maybe getting a little scared, but he was walking on water. I've been in a boat on the Sea of Galilee in a storm. And I'm going to tell you the truth. It was so freaky that I was looking around for like, which is the closest shoreline? Which, where am I going to start swimming? He didn't have a boat. So I'll give Peter some credit on this one that he was a little freaked out by the wind. But here's the question we need to ask. Peter looked, and he saw everything that was bad. When Peter looked and saw, why didn't he see his feet standing on water beside the Son of God who has authority? to tell him to do so. Because that was just as true as the wind. Did y'all get that? The fact that he was standing on the water had already walked all the way from the boat all the way to Jesus, That was just as true and just as visible as the effects of the wind. Why did Peter look and only see the bad? And you want to know what is baffling to me about the story most of all? He didn't see the wind and start sinking on his fifth step or his seventh step. We don't actually know the number, but just go with me here. Here's what we do know. He saw the wind and began sinking when he got the closest to Jesus. When he was in the boat, he was willing to walk. Halfway across the sea, he was willing to walk. When he got to the point where Jesus could literally reach out and pull him back up is when he lost faith. What we see. Wow. Even when we are getting close to God, what we see can change everything, because Peter only saw the bad, which brings us to something that we need to understand. How we see determines how we respond. How we see determines how we respond. How we see anything determines how we respond to everything. How we see our circumstances depend will determine how we respond to our circumstances. How we see God will determine how we respond to God. How we see other people will determine how we respond to other people. How we see our lives will determine how we respond to everything that comes into our lives. So let me show you something Jesus told us about the way we see things. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. This is in Matthew 6 for those of you Joining us, Matthew six twenty two. Those of you keeping up in your Bible, <clears throat> and he says, "If your eye, your perspective, the way in which you see things, if that is healthy, then your whole body, your whole soul, the way that you look at the world and the way you feel about things is going to be filled with light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be filled with darkness." It turns out how we see affects who we are. And that determines how we're going to respond to everything. If if this is true, let me ask you a question. Imagine for yourself right now, on a scale of one to ten, one being as dark as a cave in the middle of the night, ten being as bright as the sun. When you look at your life right now, what number would you give it? you look at your marriage, are you living in a dark cloud? Is your number, man, the sun is shining, I could never have more hope? What is your number? Jesus went on to finish it by saying, well then, if the light in you is darkness, you know what that means? That means if, if the best you see is bad, then how great is the darkness? If the best you see is bad, how great is the darkness you live in? Let me put it this way. If your perspective is to see everything bad, how bad everything will be. If we look at the world and what we see is all the negative, how bad everything in our world is gonna be. And that means that if we want to change our lives, we have to change how we see. Are you guys with me on this? If we want to change our lives, it's got to start right here. It's got to start with what's happening in the mind, how we see everything that's around us. And you may say, well, but such and such is true. Or what? Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard the saying that perception is 90% reality? Anybody in here you've heard the saying perception is 90% reality? And you thought maybe it was just a good quote somebody put on Facebook or something like that. It can't be proven anyway. How do you prove something like that? Well, let me just tell you, I think it might be more like 100%. Because whatever you perceive, whether it's a conspiracy theory, the way you were taught to think when you were raised, a deception by the enemy, whatever you perceive is your reality, and that is how you operate. So if we want to change our lives, we have to change how we see. Matter of fact, I'm going to throw this out. That's why we must change how we see, because you're never going to get anywhere by seeing things the same way. So let's make this super practical, if we could. Let's do a little self-test and talk about how we see some things. You guys ready for this? Okay, some of these are gonna upset some of you because we're gonna get real. And uh, it's okay, I'll start a little more lighthearted. So let me ask you something like this. Uh, When you see yourself, what do you see? Do you see someone who can change or someone who is hopelessly trapped? Good news, that was part two. You can go back and touch on that if you need to again. Let me ask you this, when you see yourself, Do you see a saint or a sinner? I mean, I know that we all sin. We're going to continue to sin. But the Bible also says if we made Jesus our kingdom, we are saints. We are children of God. When you look in the mirror, do you see a saint or do you see a sinner? Because if you see a saint, you're going to feel loved. You're going to feel forgiven. And you're going to have hope that today will be a better day because today I'll be more like God because I'm a saint. I'm a child of God. But if you look in the mirror and you see a sinner, you'll say, I'm just trapped. This is who I am. I will continue to sin. There is no way I'll ever be better. When you look at your finances, do you see enough or do you see lack? Do you see blessing or not? You know, the Bible actually tells us that he who has a bountiful eye, that means he sees a lot, will be blessed because they will share. See, what happens is is you look at your life. Some of us look at our lives and go, oh, no, I I, I don't have much. Look at my car. It's got four colors of paint and three different sizes of tire. Oh, my, I I just don't, I, I don't have much. Someone else looks at their car with four colors of paint and goes, I've got a car. See, the bountiful eye will then be generous because they believe they have enough to share with other people. What do you see? When you see people, what do you see? Do you see ungodly humans or sheep without a shepherd? Come on. I know what Jesus saw. Do you see people who need the love of God that they're only gonna experience through us. You see, the reality is we don't treat everyone the same because we don't see everyone the same. It's gonna hurt somebody, but this is the reality. We don't treat everyone the same because we don't see everyone the same. Some of us look at a different skin color and we see someone inferior or someone that we've been taught, those people are always like that. Some of us look at a Muslim and say, I'll never pray for them. I've had people tell me, I'll never pray for Muslims to come to faith because of what they saw, either in the military service or at 9-11 or an experience they've had some other way. We could keep going. Some of you, you you don't treat people a certain way because you saw someone being rich and you thought they were stingy towards you, so you now don't treat rich people well. Y'all getting where I'm going from this? Come on. We treat people based on the way we see them, not the way that God sees his children. How about this? When you look at situations in life, do you see problems? Or do you see solutions? Do you see God's goodness? Or do you see God withholding? If you're single and you look at your life, do you see yourself as incomplete just waiting for the day that you can finally move on and think you're just stuck? Or do you see yourself as complete and fulfilling your calling in God and becoming the best version of you right now when you look at your singleness, what do you see? Y'all enjoying these so far? Good, let's get to the hard ones. When you look at your spouse, what do you see? Do you see someone who is supposed to make you happy and failed? Or do you see someone for you to love and serve? When you look at your spouse, do you see someone who just keeps doing the same thing over and over and over, no matter how many times you've talked about it and how much you've said they need to change? Or do you see someone who is really struggling and needs prayer and encouragement and faith that they can never be any better than they are? Let me ask you this one. When you look at your spouse, do you see the wrong person? I was shocked the first time this happened when I started counseling people as a pastor and had someone look at me and say, Pastor, the whole problem is I just married the wrong person. And I thought, okay, we're in trouble. But you know what I've discovered in my years of being a pastor? Well over half of every couple I've ever worked with, at least one of them believes that and said that to me. And since people don't always tell me everything they're thinking, wow. See, here's what we need to know. If you look at your spouse and believe it's the wrong person, They have no chance of ever being the right person. You need to know that's a lie from the enemy. When you look at your children, do you see the effort they make? Or do you see the messes and the bad grades and the mistakes that they make? When you look at your children, do you see young humans who just need food and clothes and a ride all over town all day long? Or do you see God's gift to you for you to raise up and disciple to do great things in God's kingdom? Young people, when you see your parents, do you see rule setters or a God-given guide to help you through a broken world in your younger years? Do you see someone taking the fun out of life or someone who has a little bit of experience about the lie of the world's idea of fun? When you see a problem no human can fix, do you see a roadblock and become depressed? When a doctor says, I have no answer. When a lawyer says, it's not good news. When a person around you says, I don't have a job for you. Do you see a roadblock and become depressed? Or do you see an opportunity for the one true God to show up in your life, to prove himself, to be God Almighty, El Shaddai, the creator of the universe. The one who loves you, the one who redeems you, the one who can solve any problem in your life. I really hope that as many of you clapped, the next time you face a problem, you are just as encouraged that your God is bigger than that problem. When you look at God, do you see a loving father who sent his son to die for you? Or an angry judge waiting to punish you? Turns out how we see determines how we respond to absolutely every single moment in our lives. So look, what's the solution? Well, in all the research that I was doing, I, I discovered there are just kazillions of options that a psychologist might give you at this point, and everybody might take a different approach on how to help you change your perspective. I'm going to give you just one thing that I think, if we can embrace this, it'll change how we begin to see, because it, there's a truth in the world, it's a spiritual truth, it's a principle, and, and I think if we can understand, first of all, you can't break a principle, Is there, you understand that? It's true. What I'm about to show you is true. And if you understand it's true, then you just got to get on the right side of how it operates. Does that make sense to everybody? So how many people want to know this one principle that I think can transform the way you see? Well, here you go. Half of you. It's good to know. (laughs) Apparently I have not been doing so well the rest of uh, up until this point. Only got half of you to want to know how to solve this problem. But I'm going to go on with the half that actually want to do something about it. And here's your principle. Truth you cannot defy. We need to get on the right side of it. We become what we behold. We become what we behold. I don't know to whom to give credit because it is a famous quote. It's been out there, I think, for a very long time. I can't give credit. I don't know. But I can tell you this. We become what we behold. What that means is what we meditate on, what we are fixated on, what we are staring at. That's what we become. If we behold everything that is negative, we become negative. If we behold all of the problems, we become critical. If we behold want, we become greedy. If we behold other success, we become discontent. I have to tell you, one of the main reasons I don't go on social media is because of the effect it has on me. I become discontent very quickly in order to try to learn something about how to do church and be a better pastor. I follow other pastors on Instagram who are further along and doing great. And you know, you have a great church service and you preach and somebody gets saved and you go home and you look on Instagram and -and so-and-so baptized 2,000 people this morning. I just want to... (laughs) You see, that's the trick of the devil to take an incredible thing that God is doing in somebody else's life and to make you think God isn't doing an incredible thing in your life. Be careful what you behold. If you behold financial lack, you become financially lacking. And you say, wait a minute, how does that work? Very, very simple. God says there are only two things that bring financial blessing into your life. One is obeying him by honoring him first. And the second is by being generous to everybody else. God says he gives seed to the sower, not the keeper. God says that you've been blessed to be a blessing, not to keep. And so when you look and you behold financial lack, those are the two things you're likely to not do you are likely to not give to God and you are likely to not be generous to other people and that means that you will not experience increased blessing so as you behold financial lack you become financially lacking we become what we behold if we behold others flaws we become flawed it's called pride Jesus said, before you try to take the speck out of their eye, take the plank out of your own. If all we can do is behold all of the specks in everybody else's eyes, I think somehow there's like a spiritual accumulation. Every time we see a speck, we we add to our speck, and next thing you know, we got a plank in our own eye. That's what Jesus said. See, if we behold flaws, we become flawed. If we behold sin, we become sinners. If we behold the world, We become like the world. Man, that's a depressing list, isn't it? Come on, how many people would like some good news? That's not how we have to live our lives. Anybody with me on this one? How about we turn this whole thing around? What if we were to behold God? We could become more like God. What if we would behold the truth? Then we could become truth-centered and faith-filled. What if we could behold how much we've been forgiven and how good God has been to us? We could become incredibly forgiven and grace-filled towards everybody else. What if we were to behold God's generosity to us? Even if your car has four colors of paint, we would become so generous to everyone else. What if we could behold the good that we see in everybody, even though they do have problems? But what if we could behold the good? We may actually become a force of good in their lives. Come on, anybody with me? We become what we behold. So let me tell you, challenge you, ask you. When you find yourself beholding something, you need to start to ask the question, is this what I want my life to look like? When you behold how bad your marriage is, it's going to be bad. When you behold all of your spouse's problems, when you behold how much you hate your job, when you behold all of the things you don't think God did the way he should have, When you behold what you don't like when you see in the mirror, if all you behold is all of the negative, you're never gonna have hope. And this is why it is so critical, we must change how we see. But here's the good news, everybody. If you are critical, you see problems, and you tend to get negative, welcome to humanity. And it actually may not mean you're just a jerk. I want to give you some hope today. The Bible actually tells us we're fighting the spiritual issue here. There is something spiritually going on that causes us to see the bad and not the good. I want to show this to you. It says, for Satan, who is God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And they are unable to see They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They're unable to see good. Now, yes, we know the context. I'm not trying to, like, preach Scripture wrong. The context is for people who are in the kingdom of darkness, who have not made Jesus their king. The devil has blinded them. They cannot see their need for a Savior. They cannot see the good that Jesus did on the cross for them. That's what that Scripture is talking about. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit can then bring us to life and give us the ability to see our need for a Savior and to respond And and to take the gift of salvation of what Jesus did on the cross for us. But in my experience as a pastor, even after taking that step, Satan continues to blind our eyes to the goodness of God in our lives. He continues to help us only see what is wrong and what is bad so that then we don't believe that God is good. Here's some good news, everybody. Psalm 146 promises us that the Lord... Yahweh, our God, opens our eyes. Here's the truth. You do not have to stay. You do not have to stay where the devil wants you to be, seeing only the bad and blinded to all of the good. You don't have to. And so I'm going to end the message by offering you a challenge. Would you ask God to do one thing? If you're up for the challenge, start to pray, God, help me see as you see. See, if we were to start to see as God sees, I think it's going to change. And you may say, well, wait a minute, Jimmy. I I don't think that's going to change much because God looks down at the world, the world that he's going to have to deal with someday. And we know that that's that's, that's tough because he sees all of the sin and he sees all of the brokenness and he sees all of the evil. And I would say, absolutely, God sees all of the sin and he sees all of the sinners and he sees all of the evil and he sees all of the brokenness of this world way more accurately than you and I ever will. And yet, I don't believe my God is sitting on his throne crying. I think he's got a little bit of a smirk or a big, big smile every single day. Goes back and forth from one to the two. Because see, here's what he also sees when he looks at the world. He sees his children that he loves. He sees people being redeemed. He sees a church carrying out its mission to bring people back to him. He sees a world that he created with purpose that he's going to completely restore someday. He sees a victory that he has already won. I don't think that my God is sad when he looks at our world and sees the good that is being done that he is carrying out because of the blood of his son on the cross. And if we would start to see the good in the redemption process in a broken person's life instead of seeing the brokenness in their life, I think we'd be changed. Because you need to know, of course, your spouse isn't perfect. Of course, your boss isn't perfect. And you do know the reason they pay you to do a job? I'm glad three of you got that. You know, there's a reason they require attendance at school? So it's so easy to look around so easy to look around and go, oh, look at all that's wrong. Look at all that's bad. They should, you should, he should. What if we started, you can see it. You can see it. God sees it. But what if we started seeing the good and spent more time beholding the good? You know, my kid didn't do that, but look, let me tell you what my kid can do. So I'm going to encourage you, challenge you, start asking God to give you eyes to see what he sees. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Well, this is where we kick off our week of prayer and fasting. And for those of you who have been to Grace Life for any one of these, you know what the card was that was on your seat when you came in. For those of you that are new to Grace Life, this is your first time with us. One of the things that we do as we come together and pray is we pray for you. And so there was a card on your seat. For those of you online, simply text WOPF, which is week of prayer and fasting. And you can fill out one of these cards online. We're, we're going to... Take these cards, we're going to put them on the stage. Every time we come together this week, we're going to be praying with you for the number one thing you say, God, I need you to move in my life. And so in just a moment, I'm going to give you a a chance. And and if you would, just go ahead and write down what you need God to do in your life. It's anonymous, so you don't have to worry about being incredibly honest. Please be incredibly honest because you need to tell God what you need him to do. But I'm going to ask everybody for one thing I don't normally do in light of the message today. After you put that one thing you need God to do in your life more than anything else, can I ask you to pray and ask God to open your eyes to how He sees that one thing on your card? Turns out it might not just be a problem that's on the card, it might be a problem in how you see the problem on the card. And it might completely change how God's going to move in that situation. So, everybody, go ahead and get those cards. We're going to take about 30 seconds right now those out put on that the number one thing you need God to do in your life Keep writing if you're not finished yet. I'm just going to go ahead and pray for us. God, we thank you today that you are good, and we ask you to open our eyes to see it. We ask you to forgive us for being so fixated on all that is wrong and negative, aligning ourselves with the wrong spirit. God, we ask you to help us to see what you see the way you see it. Help us to fix what is wrong by having hope and knowing you are sitting on your throne in control. You the one true God. And so we trust you. Help us to see you moving in our lives and in this world. We thank you for how good you have been. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. See, God did love you so much that even when the world was so broken and we had sinned so much and everything was so messed up, and even if that's all true and we can see it, God saw something else. He saw you. He saw his love for you. He saw your need for a way out. So he provided that way out. He sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on the cross in your place. When his blood was shed, it paid for your sins and mine because he had none of his own. And when he was raised from the dead, it provides eternal life for you and me as well. It's what we call the free gift of salvation, but just like any other gift, we have to receive it. And if you have never made Jesus your King, your Lord and Savior, I want to help you do that right now wherever you are. Would you simply pray and say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?